In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, and with me all the way from across the pond is Mr. Parascience himself, the Dipper Dapper Steve Parsons. Good good afternoon, Ron. Uh, or Mr. Van Helsing, as it says in the chat room. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is? People are giving me a lot of grief because I say Van Helsing instead of Van Helsing. So, you know, I think if I drop the whole G-N-K, whatever the hell it is, then, you know, it'd make people happy. Do you know, that was, that was nearly plausible. You just forgot to type it, didn't you? You just mistyped the G off no, the no, end. No, 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 that's, that's a true story. It's very oh, it's true a true story. story. Oh, okay, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, his shaky hands. It's his shaky hands he used to lay off the bottle. We told him last week. <laughs> <laughs> and also, all the way uh, from wherever he is in the UK is the Rocks parapsychologist himself, the dapper. I already said dapper for you, so I can't say dapper. I know. What, what, what's a, what are the word they say for someone like Cal in the UK, Steve? Uh, Steve usually just says, I'm fit. The, the fit. Yeah. The, the <laughs> fit Cal Culper. The fit, do I? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, okay. welcome to Ghost Any- Chronicles right here live on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Beyond. If we keep talking like this, we don't know how for long. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, keep talking because uh, Ron forgot the guest again. No, I did. No, I do have my guest, and, and this—I got this guest just for you guys because it's a—it's a guy from the U.S. who wrote a book about the U.K. Excellent. A man so with, he must know uh, everything about obvi- it, right? Man with obvious taste. And he is none other than Michael Berry. Michael, you there? Michael. Michael, Michael, Michael. Knock once for yes, twice for no. <laughs> Oops. Michael. Ron, something's telling me that this guy doesn't actually exist and you're just pretending there's a guy going on who's written a book about England. It's Ron going to do a funny voice in a minute. <laughs> you think it'll work? Uh, Michael, you there. He'll go, hello, everyone. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Okay, so this has started off really well. <laughs> anyway, should, well, should we talk well, about Darth Vader? Oh yes. What's that? Yes. No, let's I think talk about, should, let's uh, talk about well, Star in, in Wars. Case, in case people do not know, um, Steve is is about to have another mini me. Yeah. And well, um, I'm, I'm mini him, not mini not. you. Yeah, I'm personally not. Uh, my lovely wife is. 
Well, you know, it used to be that way, but nowadays the BPC, the the, the guy, and now having children too, evidently, um, uh, they yeah, have children together. It's not just the wives anymore. No, yeah. they've been watching that Arnold Schwarzenegger film too many times. And reading I, National Enquirer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, moving swiftly on, who bears an uncanny resemblance on his scanned photograph to Darth Vader? He does. He really does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do we have Michael yet? I guess we don't. Okay. So, anyways, uh, we do have some great news, and that, of course, is that um, Steve Parsons, uh, this guy on the other end of the line over in the UK, is coming over here to the United States in October for That's a spirit perfect. quest. As, I, as I've said many, many times, you you keep sending us the. Um Mormon missionaries to enlighten and educate us Brits. So, uh, uh-huh. paranormally speaking, we thought we'd return the compliments and bring uh, bring me over as a missionary from the Church of Common Sense. I'm going to post him over. Yeah, wearing an elder's badge and a nice shiny suit. Yeah, and we'll go looking for good Bigfoot. That would be. Hey, we've got a. Uh, we have we have an an epidemic of black cats and pumas and panthers and. Uh, big critters over here at the moment. Again, is that really? Yeah, we've we've um, our local papers uh, been following a number of sightings of a large uh, a large animal described as being considerably bigger than an, uh, a German shepherd, um, dark in colour, uh, huge paws. Um, it's been seen quite quite reliably seen, I understand, on a number of occasions, including by. Uh, one of our uh, council's wildlife officers. Uh, really? So well, one speaking would about, speaking about rare sightings, I think we do have Michael online now. Do we have you there, Mike? Yes, I'm here. It appears that Yay. somebody has been messing with us. He exists. Today are, are acting up like normal. But yes, I am here, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. At least it's not. I, at least we don't have to put up with Ron with a funny voice for the next half hour. No, it is Ron. He's throwing his voice. For mine. I'm getting over the flu as well, so <laughs> you know we both have the, the strange voices today. But anyway, no, you, your voice sounds a lot, a lot better than mine. Trust me. Well, and, uh, Michael Barry has written a book uh, about royal tombs from the UK. So uh, I think that's interesting. You're in the California, and you're writing a book about the the tombs in the UK. So that yeah, to it, me. It is, that isn't us, a strange, uh, strange bedfellows there. Yeah, you know, us here in America, why we're so uh, interested in the Brits and their royal family is, I guess, the closest thing we have is the Kardashians and the Kennedys. So, <laughs> you know, well, we, and, and my publisher loved the idea, and I, I've always been interested in that history, so there we go, and that's how the book came about. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about us putting, putting our uh, Brit royals under car parks, then? Oh, that was a lovely story with uh, where they're going to p- end up with Richard III. Uh, the, the big that fight's going to go on for years, I think, whether it's going to be in York or in Leicester. Uh, that's amazing, under a car park for, you know, 500 years. That's a, it's a nice history there, but it's nice to be actually found finally, you know, and he can finally be, you know, buried with uh, the pomp and circumstance that is uh, definitely deserved of a, of a king of England. So. so I guess his spirit won't be seen roaming through the car park anymore now that they're going to give him a proper burial. It's amazing what they did with some of these monarchs, you know. Some of them were just uh, abandoned. Some of them have royal tombs in Westminster Abbey. But, you know, it's a mixed match of, you know, who's remembered where and what their stories are. And especially Richard III, he's been vilified so much throughout history. Some of it, 
you know, is, is warranted and some of it isn't based on Tudor propaganda. But, but his story recently, obviously, it's been brought out into the media and with the, the book that I read, Timing is Always Everything. Uh, but definitely it's, it's an interesting time to, uh, to have located his, his remains. Also, of course, the hunt is now on, uh, spurred on by Richard III's discovery. Uh, the hunt is now on for several of other uh, missing monarchs. Um, Boudicca um, and Alfred the Great, I think, they're, they're, they're actively seeking at the moment. Archaeologists are uh, looking for the burials. Yeah, they, of, they tended of... to move these guys quite a bit. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an amazing story in itself, but... Uh, where they actually ended up, they're somewhere, but, you know, it definitely brings an interest back to trying to actually find some of them. So I guess that's a good thing in the end. I, I remember Richard Felix, when, when he was my coach, to always tell the story about one of the kings they dug up and beheaded and reburied. Well, you know, that, I, that one that I was don't Cromwell. know. That, that happens a lot. I mean, they, they, it happens today. People, you know, are digging people up and moving them around. And, you know, so whether you're a king of England or just a, an, an average person, I guess it can happen mm -hmm. to any of us. Uh, but uh, you, you would think that, you know, after 500 years that we'd be settled, but not always the case. Uh, you know, uh, just a little while ago, of course, we just got a new pope in Rome, and uh, there was, I think it was Gregory the First, I believe it was, uh, well, I, I take that back, I'm not sure the exact name, but the pope that came after him actually had him dug up and dressed up and put on trial, and they had a monk behind him who actually answered for him. So uh, they tried this pope, dug him up, tried him, and found him guilty, and then uh, I think they beheaded him something very... Well, well that kind of stuff's happened in Britain as well with Oliver Cromwell yeah, after right. he died, and, you know, the monarchy was restored. They did the same thing. They had a mock trial, hung him, and re-dug him up out of Westminster Abbey and threw him into a pit. And his head <laughs> is floated around Britain. I don't know where it is now, but it's... it's I, think Steve, I think Steve owns it. He owns just about everything else. Uh, no, I, I, I can't claim any bits of Oliver Cromwell, but yes, <laughs> it's, it's a perfectly true story. Um, when Charles II ascended, or reascended the throne, um, he did, in fact, um, uh, arrange for a trial and execution re uh, of, of Oliver Cromwell. Um, it's it's surprising uh, the number also bringing it onto ghosts uh, the number of uh, we we've got monarchs scattered all over the country but we also have quite a number of of royal ghosts scattered across the country including I think most famously perhaps uh, uh, two queens Anne Boleyn and Mary Queen of Scots who seem to be the busiest two ghosts um, that are that are documented because the number of sightings or the number of locations that these two uh, I was going to say old queens, but that might come out wrong. Um, <laughs> they definitely get around a lot, and uh, they do. Right. Yeah, they get a lot of play, and uh, that's not, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, there's, it goes on. There's lists and, of, of all sorts of hauntings uh, everywhere, but definitely those two, uh, the queens, uh, Catherine Howard, Anne Boleyn, Lady Jane Grey, uh, Mary Queen of Scots, they definitely get get a, get a definitely a lot of media attention. From the, from the haunting side. So, Michael, how did you do your research for your book? I mean, did you actually go to the UK, or is it? I have. Yes, I've traveled there many times, uh, uh, and I was able to get a lot of the photographs I use in the book uh, were my own, 
And I definitely like when I'm writing any of my stories, whether it's my crime stories or the uh, Great Britain's Royal Tombs, I like to visit the places to get the feel for the, the events, the people. It definitely makes my writing come across a little bit smooth, smoother writing for me. Now, I'm not reinventing the wheel here with the history of the monarchy of England, uh, but I definitely am good at capsulizing stories into a, you know, a brief enough uh, story so that people, if they're interested, they can go later and read their 800-page biographies if they wish to. Uh, but yes, I did a lot of research by going to as many of the locations as I could and photographing them if I could and getting the feel. Of definitely when you walk into places like the Tower of London or Westminster Abbey or Windsor Castle, you definitely feel the history. And uh, being, you know, pretty uh, feeling person myself, you can feel the presence of the centuries of history that you're 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 within and um so so visiting the places is really important to me in my writing process so michael when you do your research i mean is there when you i mean we are steve is always and cal always bragging about the uk how great it is and everything but um when you go over there does it feel greater than like locations in the u.s or, or in other parts of the world it, it can. As far as the history, it, you can walk anywhere in the U.K., most places, and, you know, history has been kept. In the United States, you can find it. It's a lot e on, on the East Coast, especially the New England area. You can definitely find feelings of that same kind of a sort. On the West Coast here, it's it's pretty much, you know, like uh, build a parking lot. Let's, let's get rid of history and go. But definitely when you go to Europe, France, England, any of those places, they definitely have a more of, I think, more reverence towards their history than we do. But then we only have, you know, 200 plus years where they yeah. have, you know, thousands on us. So, uh, but it seems like they have a little bit more reverence for it. At least that's my impression. Um, not saying that well, we don't we, have it here in the United States, but um, it's definitely, uh, I don't think it's comparable. I, I would say that we've certainly made a, uh, an industry out of our heritage. Um, definitely tourism and heritage <laughs> yeah. go together, I mean, and it's, it's definitely you know, uh, impressive when you go there and visit the places. Um, I mean, one of the things that disappoint. Well, I, I, I take, I'll take take a, a slightly different line on that, actually, if I may, because one of the things that, that always disturbs me slightly when going to visit places like the Tower of London um, and Warwick Castle is that they're more they're they're more becoming like theme parks historical theme parks and I, I to my you know i visited the tower of london when i was when i was young i visited it a couple of years ago um and it's changed dramatically it it now caters very much for the visitor experience and uh it does you know more and more resemble a theme park and i think that in those respects the the commercial aspects uh of, of some of these attractions are actually you know, I, I agree with to degrade you, the history. I definitely agree as far as like Warwick Castle. I was, I was extremely dis disappointed going there. It's like a theme park, you're right. They have yeah. it set up more for children than they do for the actual history with the... Really? I don't know if they still have the wax figures all set up within the, the galleries yeah. there where you're walking through these historic rooms and they have 
some some are live reenactors, and then some are just like Madame Tussauds wax figures of of Edward the Seventh standing there. I mean, they're, the likeness is, is is pretty good, but the fact remains it kind of is kind of cheesy in, in in the fact that you're 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 dealing with this. And you're right as far as like the Tower of London with all the gift shops, but that's such a big industry there. And uh, out of out of the things you just talked about, Warwick Castle was definitely the most disappointing to me. Mm. Tower of London, I, I made sure that I you get there as early as possible in the day because definitely during the summer in the afternoon there's you know thousands of people there and you don't get the same uh atmosphere as you would if it was you know nine o'clock in the morning the same with westminster abbey it get they get so crowded that mm. you definitely can miss the point of it and uh, uh and you know, you got tourists with their cameras running around. It's, it's, it's uh, definitely. I can see both sides of the coin. Where you know, there's the reverence for the history, and then there's the money-making aspect of it, as well. So when I'm do when I'm researching or going to these places, I definitely try to get as, there as early as I can, or be on the late side when people are gone, and try to go in the off seasons. You go during the summer, you're all you're going to get is you know tons of people, and it's not the same experience, at least not for me. So. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a, a Disneyland kind of atmosphere at some of those places. Right. I mean, there are some really cool castles like uh, Margam Castle, uh, right, Steve? Margam is a particular favourite of mine. Um, it's it's not in itself. The building isn't that old. Um, it, it's really a, more of a Victorian Gothic pile, um, but it, it sits on a site, and um, there's been structures on the site that go back over two thousand years. But in terms of uh, it's paranormal uh, history that it, it has a degree of fascination, not, not least which because it's so uh, relatively close by, but also because um, I, I've visited it on a number of occasions. Um, most of the time, nothing much at all has ever happened, but on one or two occasions, uh, things have taken place and have left me. Um, I was going to say, it's left me with more questions um, that I would like answers to and I would like to spend more time uh, being able to having, have a go at answering the questions rather than saying, you know, I, I had an experience there. Um, but, yeah, I, certainly there is, a, there is a list of questions uh, hanging over uh, Margam Castle that I would like to spend some time and answer. But in terms of the location itself, visually, it's just like walking off, you know, walking onto the set of The Haunting or, or some other great Hollywood movie. Um, it's visually absolutely stunning. Um, yeah, you know, going so, in these locations, location. you definitely get the feel, uh, and, and definitely part of, you know, when these people are experiencing some of these, uh, these so-called apparitions or hauntings or whatever, definitely the atmosphere definitely plays a, plays a part in it. And I was wondering also as far as any investigations have, Steve, have you ever been to the Tower of London and been able to be in there and investigate any of these, these hauntings or any of the bigger places like Windsor Castle or, or uh, even Westminster Abbey? I'm being not an expert in the, the paranormal side of the, the history of this it's definitely interesting to me just reading up on some of the the sightings that have gone on over the years especially the tower of london with all the the, the craziness that happened there um and and the documented uh, uh, uh situations that have gone on through the years i was wondering if you've ever been able to experience anything there as well yourself uh, unfo unfortunately not at the tower of london um 
because it, it is a, an active royal palace and permission to conduct any form of investigation um, is n- nigh on impossible to obtain. However, I've been very fortunate in uh, being able to uh, spend time investigating um, another famous royal castle, which is Dover Castle, um, down on the south coast built by Henry II, uh, an enormous structure with probably an equally long history of uh, paranormal activity associated with it, and certainly its role within within Britain's history. Um, And I've been able to investigate other castles up in Scotland, particularly Fivey Castle and Roslyn Castle. Uh, Roslyn in particular, where I was able to spend... I think in total nearly two weeks um, living in, in the castle um, as part of the investigation process. Uh, but we're, we're, it's, it's quite easy for us to get blasé about castles uh, over here in the UK. I mean, I live in West Wales, which is a fairly remote part of, uh, of, of Great Britain, but nonetheless, within a uh, 30 minutes drive of here, there are at least 30 castles. Um, in you know some of them are in immaculate condition, uh, like Pembroke Castle, which was built um, in the you know in the, the reign of uh, William the ugh, sorry no King oh gosh it's a Norman castle forgive me, um, but it's in really really nice condition. We've got Manabea Castle, which again is uh, still occupied, still lived in. Um, we have uh, Carew Castle. We have castles, literally, uh, you know, Haverford West, three miles away. Um, we have castles everywhere. Uh, and one of them is haunted, with supposedly. Them. So it's, it's not, not, not surprising that, you know, that... And that's the amazing part about it, driving to the countryside. Oh, there's another castle. There's a castle. It's a castle. And, you, you know, it's, it, we don't have that here in the United States. I guess that's why we're fascinated more with that. Actually, I have a question for our resident parapsychologist, Cal Cooper. Cal, a place like that that's, that has a reputation or, or just the, the, the size, or, does, does that affect what we feel and sense out of it? Are you trying to say does size count? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Cal's case. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, okay. Does it, Cal? Um, no, I don't think it, it does when it comes to hauntings. Um, you've got all kinds of places that um, boast a haunting, even if it's just a single corridor within a, um, a house, maybe the hallway all the way up to um, castles, and the castles are just boasting more hauntings just because of their history, more than the size. If the building or structure's been around long enough, then it's got loads of history, myths, and legends attached to it, and some people even boast that there's modern occurrences going on. So I really don't think that the size of the haunted location matters, but certainly its history and age does. And also, Cal, isn't it worth... Uh I think it's worth also point, putting in at this point that one of Britain's uh, most reputedly actively haunted uh, locations is the uh, the cage at St Osseth in Essex, which is probably the smallest building in the UK. Um, <laughs> so it's sort of you know, as, as Cal says, size doesn't really make any difference to to the yeah. quality or quantity of haunting activity reported. One of the pubs we've got here in, um, I'm in Nottingham at the moment, and it boasts the two oldest pubs in the UK, the Salutation Inn and the Trip to Jerusalem. The Salutation Inn is tiny, and it, it was built for a time when people were short. You don't have to look through all the doorways, even the main one, to get in. And, you know, it's some, I think it's some 
maybe only just over five foot in height to actually get through the door. Um, and you go inside and it really is small, cramped little rooms with a tiny bar and then they convert it to get to a little upstairs um, bar just for sheer space. So they kind of knocked the upper floor through, but that was years ago, just to make it a more workable pub. Um, but that boasts all kind. Of, I think there's like seven different ghosts within that small building reported. And it's no more than three or four rooms. So, again, it's this history that's added to the haunting. So I want to ask Barry, in, in uh, uh, Michael, excuse me, um, when you did this book, what, what, what uh, entry really intrigued you the most, the one that really you finished and said, wow, that was kind of cool? You know, they they all had their unique stories to it. There was there's no, I didn't get a wow factor from any of the stories. I, I had already known a, a lot of what was going on, being a history major, being in school, and learning about this prior. So there was nothing that really shocked me. That said, oh, I didn't I didn't really know that. Other than the fact that uh, a, a lot of the illnesses that they developed. I mean, obviously we've heard about the madness of King George and and what all was going on with that, with the movies and all that stuff. But you know the reality of the situation was these things were very serious. So I guess in the end, nothing really shocked me that I learned that I didn't learn before in researching the book. No, uh, to answer your question. Okay. And, and what are we talking about for a number of royal rulers? I mean, uh, how many kings hung around in the U.K. for... Well, you know, we've it, it goes back, you know, if we're talking from William the Conqueror, on, which basically my book uh, starts with that. We, I talk a little bit about the Anglo-Saxon uh, kings, but basically we start with the Norman Conquest and move forward. You know, you got me on the line, got me on the point here, the actual number of, of mine. Uh, it's, so, it's, I mean, just roughly, are we talking hundreds? So are we talking? Uh, no, 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 no. We're, not, we're talking less than a less than hundred here that I talk about in the book here, per se. Mm-hmm. Per se yeah, there's, it's less than that. Because, uh, you know, obviously, like the presidents here in the United States, we have, you know, eight-year terms that, you know, some of them lasted, you know, quite a long time. Some were like Richard III, which were just a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, they, they tended to, you know, uh, quite a few, actually, let's just put it that way, but not as, as many as you would think. Okay. I would guess it's, a, it's in the 40s or 50s. Right. It's, it's, not, it's not a great deal, no. It's, 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 well, it's I mean, we have 40 presidents. I mean, 40-plus, right? Almost 50, 10 going to 50, Yeah, but right? we're, talking of, we're talking a thousand years back to William the Conqueror. Right, we're talking 1,500 years of history, so it's, it's spread out over that. It's yeah, but, I mean, you're talking 40 versus 40 and not 200. So, you know, right. 1,500 versus... It seems like it, the balance isn't there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I remember at school right. it was... It was always a challenge. We 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 were taught at school to uh, from William the first through to Elizabeth the second, um, and only a year ago I could probably still do it, which was to name all of the kings and queens in order. Really? No, just no, something were... we learn at school, like the yeah. like the times tables. Yeah, well, they, they don't they don't do that anymore. So you know what I'm saying. But you, you know, there are times when when England actually had two kings or two rulers. Uh, there's been several occasions that happened yeah. during um, the first English Civil War uh, between, uh, well, she was Empress Matilda, uh, Queen Matilda, and uh, and Stephen. Yeah, correct. Um, they squabbled, and the, the the crown passed forwards and backwards between the two of them. And also uh, during the War of the Roses, um, we had uh, at the same time Edward the Fourth and. 
uh, Richard, hang on, Henry the Sixth on the on the throne at the same time, um, and we also had it again during the the Tudor period um, with Jane Grey, who was crowned queen for famously nine days, um, okay. but but had also the, had also been the proclamation of uh, Mary the First. Like so, uh, like her time is up, your time is up because we have to take a break. So you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond with uh, Mr. Parascience, Steve Parsons, the rock parapsychologist, Cal Cooper, New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolek, and we'll be talking with uh, Michael Barry. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tojanet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul-searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place. An oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged. Restrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Parax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Maltantis. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, I will say. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons, Cal Cooper, and Ryan Kolick. And our very special guest is Michael Berry. 
And what, what was the name of your, your book, and how can people get it, uh, Michael? It's uh, called Great Britain's Royal Tombs, A Guide to the Lives and Burial Places of British Monarchs, and it can be bought from any location through Amazon. Uh, dot com uh, directly from my publisher shifferbooks.com uh, or Barnes and Noble as well. You can get that at any of your bookstore, local bookstores. Cool. And uh, it really intrigued me. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen the book yet. It was I was supposed to have a copy by now, but unfortunately, I haven't got. So I, I am a little bit in the dark about it. But what I have seen of it, uh, it really looks cool. And there's there's a lot of pictures in it too. I believe. Yeah, I try to, you know, uh, pictures tell a thousand words and obviously exactly. tell the story, but when you can actually show the location you're talking about or the castles or the locations of the, the battles or these the tragic events, it definitely brings the reader into you. And it's it's definitely a, a lovely hardback coffee table-like book that people would love to have on their, their coffee table to just browse through some of the beautiful pictures, which most of our are my own. So why tombs, though? I mean, that always intrigues me. I mean, you, you could have said, like, okay, I'm going to do a book on the castles of of uh, the U.K. Or, or, it seems uh, to be my forte is with my publisher is that they they like to have that, that twinge to it is the, 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 the tombs or the death part of it, where I don't focus on that part of their story. It's definitely part of their life story, but with my publisher, that's definitely where they wanted to go with it, and I'm fine with that because I am definitely still telling the stories whether I'm talking about Hollywood or famous people from Orange County or, or the Kings of England. It's definitely the tombs. People, There's definitely a, a segment of the population that definitely loves this type of stuff, the paranormal, right. uh, the tombs, and they go hand in hand. You can't have a tomb without a ghost, and you know, because it all fits. And it's definitely when somebody's browsing through a, a bookstore or publishers today, publishing is so uh, difficult that you got to have that that hook to go. Okay, they're going to pick up the book and go, yeah, I like that. If they pick it up, they're probably going to buy it. Um, so tombs definitely gets your attention right off the bat. And so, so do you do you consider yourself a taffophile? No, I don't. I, I don't. I just kind of fell into that, to be honest with you. And it's just part of their life stories. So it's just one of those things that, you know, where life puts you in a different direction. And here I am mm -hmm. writing about the subjects that I definitely go. And I don't, I didn't go into writing this book uh, be, considering myself an expert in English history or Hollywood history or any of the books I've written. But it's definitely something that I wanted to learn about as I went. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's definitely eye-opening, and it was it was it was definitely a uh, a lot of work because we're talking you know 1,500 years of history. How do you capsulize that in in you know 80,000 words or less? Yeah. It is difficult to do, um, but definitely in in today's reading society, you have to be get these people quick. So you know you can't bore them. You know, here's the here's the facts. Here's the information. Get in, get out quick. And that's what I've, I've prided myself in my writing style, especially with this book, is that I'm going to give you the pertinent facts of William the Conqueror. Here you go. And this is in, you know, a thousand words or less. And that, that is a daunting task to do. And you're talking, you know, so much stuff has happened. That's, that's an incredibly daunting task for any writer. I mean, re quite recently I was asked to do, uh, for a magazine article, a review on the, on the ghost hunter Harry Price. And my word limit was a thousand words, and I struggled and struggled and struggled to condense it down. It wasn't the writing of, of um, the history of the guy and what he got up to. It was actually making it readable in so in so few words. So you know, to do that 
repeatedly for, for, you know, all of the different monarchs is an incredible task for a writer. It is. It was, it was difficult. It was enjoyable as well. Uh, but for, it's one of those things that I just find that I'm very good at doing, which, you know, it didn't start out that way. It's, it's, you know, but as I've gone in the years I've been writing, uh, it's gotten easier. And it was a you're daunting like, task, and I'm very proud of doing this. But, yeah, it was exhausting. So, yeah, you know, it's it, it simply some tips because mine just look like bullet points. <laughs> it's simply amazing because you know both my books ran way over. The first book I believe was supposed to be like eighty thousand words and ended up over a hundred, and the, the other one was just as bad. It just I can't do that. I just it, it's yeah. hard. But the, the publishers will send it back to you. going, no, you got to cut. You got to cut. That's the cool thing. But my you publishers know. didn't. I was so excited. <laughs> Yeah, it's this, fine this with one they definitely it, it made it made it more fun. I'm still coloring it in now. But I'm sorry, I killed the conversation, Cal. <laughs> I guess it did, Cal. You just killed that really bad. Uh, we actually have a uh, a uh, question for you in the uh, chat room. And it's what's Mike's favorite tune, and uh, why, and has it influenced him to be. <laughs> buried once you meet your maker. <laughs> well, you know, you definitely when you're you're writing this kind of stuff, I'll start at the end as far as wanting to be remembered. Yes, we want to have I want to have a giant obelisk over mine. Here's all my accomplishments, my awards, my books, whatever. Yeah. I think that's part of what drives me as well. Um, yeah. I, you think about why we write about the things or the things we do. I think for me, definitely that's that's definitely a a key component. As far as you know, my favorite favorite tomb going to, I don't have an, a favorite favorite. I guess. Elizabeth I would be at Westminster Abbey based on the fact the the regalness of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, having a favorite, no, I don't. They're all very, some are very underwhelming and some are extremely ornate. I mean, uh, it, we're, we're, we're talking, I was very disappointed when I was researching my book on, you know, the Hollywood greats that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, way back several years ago, it was like, oh, you're, you're expecting to go to some of these places and be like, oh, it's Earl Flynn or whatever, the, and it's not. It's like there's nothing or it's it's their life. But when you go to England, they definitely have the pomp and circumstances with, especially at these the the, the main churches like Westminster Abbey. The, the, they, it is it is it is what you expect when you walk in there. Other than the fact that their every nook and cranny is crammed with 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 tombs. And that that overwhelms you at times, and and the, and the smallness of it. You I mean the immensity of the nave and all that? But when you get into these small chapels off to the side and whatever, there's it, it gets kind of claustrophobic. Um, huh. But 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 definitely you can feel the presence of the the majesty of the of, of just history when you walk into a place like that. But definitely my most the famous, if I had to put me on the spot, would definitely be Elizabeth I, who's also buried with her sister, Mary I, as well. They're buried together on top of each other. And the ironic part of it is that Elizabeth's tomb is sinking into the crypt of her sister. They're kind of meeting in the middle there. So uh, how sweet. they're going to uh, rectify that, I have no idea. But the immense weight of the, the whole the whole apparatus is obviously sinking sinking in deep, and that's the story that I... Is that in your, is that in your book, uh, Michael? Uh, yeah, I do believe I talk about that as well, yes. Uh-huh. Um, Michael, do you uh, also consider... They, you know, they, um, they put, it, put them together, you know, in the end, or at least, uh, you know, James the First did, you know, after uh, 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 Elizabeth passed, so... I was just going to say, several of our monarchs are actually not even buried in this country, um, 
we have um, Richard the Lionheart, of course, uh, buried in, in Chinon in France, and we have uh, uh, William the Conqueror himself, or most of him. The bit that didn't explode is buried in in <laughs> France. Um, yeah, that was a crazy story in itself when he died. You know, the, the chaos that ensued, and then the, yeah. the aftermath, and then you're right, what's left of. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that. You want, you want to go over that one for our listeners? Well, you know, William the Conqueror, the bigger than life, you know, he assumed, when he died, uh, he was basically abandoned and stripped naked and left on a floor, uh, and they, they took off. Uh, that's the short, short story uh, of the situation, which is, you know, they, they, they tended to panic after the death of these, these uh, monarchs because, you know, the power struggle after that and, and and all that is just a bunch of chaos. And then when he was being buried, they kind of shoved him into a box that was too small. And you know, with all not getting too graphic, the, you know, the body <laughs> fluids exploded within the the, the 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 church, and it was filled. And the, the story goes that it was filled with all this, the foul smelling air oh. and whatnot. But and then you know, when the French Revolution and all those transpired, they they dig up these 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 remains and scatter them and throw them all out through the through the area, so a lot of them, especially the early Norman uh, English kings, uh, you know, they, they say they're 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 there. They have the sarcophaguses, but a lot of them are empty, or or they're not. They don't want to tell you exactly where they are because they're afraid that if they do, it's a tourism thing again. Um, yeah, so and, it, and, it, and in many cases, as we've demonstrated with Richard uh, Richard the Third, we're still not entirely sure where some of them are. Um, you know, it, it's conjecture uh, still where uh, Edward the Second is. Uh, did he? Did he in fact, you know, uh, die at Barclay Castle, or did he go off into exile in France or Ireland or Wales uh, or one of the other uh, locations attributed to him, and and die, you know, uh, later on? Um, it, uh, you know, so we're just yeah, yeah, not sure where some of them are. Persisted for the centuries on a lot of those cases. Mm. And, you know, we'll I mean, never get to the bottom of it. Unless they just kind of hap, happen upon another car park, now there's another body to go. But, uh, well, there's a big there's a big rush into the car parks. Uh, our local council's dug up two this week um, because we have a royal tomb in Pembrokeshire as well. Uh, we have um, we have the tomb of Jasper Tudor, who is uh, the uncle of Henry the Seventh, and he's buried at St David's uh, in the cathedral there. Um, so we, we have our own royal tomb, which it's actually a very, very, it, it's quite nondescript, but it's got some very, very ornate uh, Tudor, uh, because obviously once Henry took the throne and the Tudor dynasty began, he made sure that his uncle's uh, tomb was, was suitable. Um, and it's, it's, it's certainly worth a visit um, up at St. David's Cathedral, he says, for the local tourism board. Um, but, you know, we, we, it's absolutely true. We've lost at least a handful of our kings and queens are quite sure where they are. Um, and if we go back beyond the, the Norman period, we've, we've, I think we've lost them all. They're almost um, all gone, yeah, except even at yeah. the older, the Anglo-Saxons, you go back to you know, Winchester Cathedral, the, the royal mortuary chest above the, above the nave there, they're all, during the, the English Civil War, they were all like thrown mm-hmm. onto the floor and scattered together 
So they're not sure who's, who's who and what's what. They just kind of just scooped it up and put them back in boxes and put it back up there. And <laughs> it, it's uh, yeah, but you're you're talking before William the Conqueror. There's very few or or uh, you know what happened to him. It's like there wasn't as much reverence at that point. No, no. We I mean we we know where one or two of them um, and literally a handful of them are. Um, right, bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and of course the hunt is still on for King Arthur. Uh, <laughs> right. Who is who is virtually entirely a mythical uh, creation, and there's there's probably umpteen burial places recorded, including oh, yeah. and out here in Pembrokeshire we have our own claim. There's also famously Glastonbury, where the monks decided uh, it would be good for the for the early medieval tourism trade to find uh, Arthur's um, burial place at Glastonbury. Um, so yeah, so we're looking for Boudicca, uh, King Arthur. Um, Edward the Second. The list. The list is actually quite long. Mm-hmm. You, you know, what's interesting is in in my book goes today. I uh, I wrote about the tomb of the unknown soldier in uh, in the UK, and it is one of the most visited uh, tombs in the world. And uh, it's pretty cool because the way they selected, it, they dug up six guys, and one of the and this was in France, and then they uh, they picked one and had them shipped over there and they really uh don't know who's in there no it was it was actually a very carefully done procedure to select the unknowns uh, the representative uh oh, it was, was it? um that they actually went to some great lengths to ensure that they the identity of the sort of the unknown soldier would would be uh, truly unknown right that's why they dug six of them up uh, it wasn't just that they they also uh, ensured that there was no there was no dog tags there was no identifi- uh, right, identifying right. Fe- marks uh, or you know parts of the uniform. It was um, because it was to represent all of the the, the war dead from the Great War. And indeed, it, it, it's it, you're absolutely right. Um, a visit to Westminster um, Westminster Abbey. Uh, the, the tomb of the unknown soldier is placed prominently uh, as you as you enter the main doorway. And many many spirits have been seen there, and I don't mean uh, lots either. Indeed, um, uh, I think perhaps uh, we sh- we, there's also links there to to other f- sort of well known First World War ghosts, and including ghost hoaxes, uh, ghost spirit hoaxes mm-hmm. uh, associated uh, with with uh, that that sort of. Uh, time period, particularly the the uh, the photograph of the cenotaph uh, taken in the I think 1927 that uh, turned out to be it was a spirit photograph, um, mm-hmm. and on the photograph uh, appeared um, mysteriously um, groups of, of faces um, which the photographer claimed were the spirits of the war dead, and then somebody later identified as being I think it was Aston Villa Football Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> The players from Aston Villa Football Club. Uh, somebody superimposed them over the picture and you mean passed they all off died. Of it. The whole football. Uh, no, no, it was just a, one of those well-known spirit fake photographs uh, that were doing the rounds at that period. Uh, all right, Mike, Michael, when you when you did your research, did, did you find the paranormal crept in? And, and one more, before I even answer that question, I, I would like you to answer. You wrote another book on on tombs in Hollywood as well. And what, what's the name of that book? And, uh, yeah, the, the the book on um, uh, classic Hollywood was called Fade to Black: uh, Graveside Memories of Hollywood Greats. Is that still available? Fifty. So is it still available? 
It's still available. Uh, same publisher. They can go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, look up under my name, Michael Thomas Berry, or just the name of the book, and they can find all the books that I've written. Uh, but um, I, I forgot the second part of your question. Uh, which is actually the first part of the question, but that's all right. Okay. When, when you did your research on this, did you find that the paranormal stuck its, reared its ugly head in, into uh, so many of the stories? I, I think it, it, it's, as far as me personally, yes, I do believe that there's a lot of, I, I don't know how sometimes I come across some of the information I do in the investigations and writing the stories, not just the, the current book or any of the books. I, it mm-hmm. definitely seems to be a part of being driven to being these stories being retold, especially when I was writing my first book, uh, Final Resting Places, Orange County. He's dead and famous. I oh, felt wow. like sometimes I was drawn to some of the locations or the stories. So I'm like, how, how the heck would you, you come across some of the information unless there was something from the great beyond helping you move along? So sometimes I feel like I'm just uh, being drawn to, to areas or situations, whether I'm you know, searching out the actual graves or whatever. I definitely get a feeling at times, for, uh, a personal feeling, that you're not alone. And uh, and that goes with any uh, any of the stories. I've always felt that way uh, from when childhood you came on. Up, when you came over to the UK and you, you were in London um, looking at some of the tombs, did you visit the Highgate Cemetery? Because there's no way of getting away from the, the stories and the myths and the history and legends of the vampire. There. No, I didn't get out there, but I've heard so many stories about that. Uh, mm. and, and you can't go to those locations and not, not have a feeling. Uh, when I've been in France and Paris Lachey, you get that feeling when you're out there. You do, and you know, especially throughout England and small little cemeteries or or even the giant cathedrals, you definitely feel. You can feel the stuff, and you know, even if you're in a, a crowd of you know ten thousand people, you know, some of us can feel or, or see things. I've never actually seen any apparitions or experienced anything. It's more just a, a feeling. Now, what that feeling is, it's hard to explain, other than the fact it could be just environment. Uh, you know, you're in a dark, closed place, and you can get the, the heebie-jeebies. I don't know. But uh, some things are just too coincidental not to be true. So so I guess we have to ask the $64,000 question is, when you photographed all these places, did you ever get any anomalies that you can't explain? No, I didn't, and I was hoping I would, but I didn't, uh, unfortunately. Uh, now, I have gotten in other photographies out here in, in Southern California at the Queen Mary and whatnot, but nothing that would be in, a, in any of my books, which, is, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, not, not that that was the, the aim of my book. It wasn't paranormal going forward looking for that, but no, right. I, I haven't. Uh, and I did, uh, other than having feelings, no, I would, didn't have to experience anything paranormal like, uh, that I would put down, like I saw a ghost at Hampton Court or whatever like that, no. But oh, the you, only you, you make it Stephen feel good now. Uh, but you know, and but the only actual ghost story that I have in the book that I talk about is from Hampton Court and the the ghost of Catherine Howard and the supposed haunted hallway. Um, mm. That's the only one that actually made it into the book. Although there was a lot of a, a lot of stories. Uh, but I think I'm that's interested uh, in, in, in in Hampton Court, and that's got a lot of a lot of stories in itself, uh, especially with Jane Seymour and you know. Uh, Catherine Howard and Henry VIII and all that. So, uh, I think the ghost of Catherine Howard is probably, um, I think possibly one of the mo- the most famous ghost uh, stories in British history. And no, it's kind of hard to say, Steve, isn't it? Well, I I I, 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 I go by. Um, I was going to then add, um, and certainly one of 
probably the earliest commercialised ghost stories because Hampton Court back in the I think it was the nineteen twenties was selling postcards that were mocked up to to represent the the ghost of of, of Queen Catherine fleeing up the corridor in a last ditch attempt to to gain her husband's attention and beg for beg for her life while he prayed in the chapel at the end of the corridor, and they were selling you know this 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 photograph and uh, this postcard a lot you know a long long time ago there are certainly there are certainly accounts from from uh, example um the tower of london that predate mm-hmm. that um right. commercially um no, i mean even think of the nuns walk right uh well yeah borley goes back to the 20s um uh, it was first documented um, by in the 1920s although the reports of the bull family go back way 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 beyond that to actually right. to shortly after building of of ball itself i'm not talking about you know do- earliest documented ghosts i'm talking about the uh, the early the earliest ghost for sale should we say oh ghost for um, sale and, right. and i agree you know, with you to- Steve 100% that's why i put it in the book because yeah you think you go on the internet it's definitely one of the one that gets the most hits it's got the most uh, information it goes back where it became an actual part of the tourism industry yeah, and it's become right. the, the legend or whatever of it has become its own thing uh the reality is another story but that's definitely why i talked about it and tried to photo i did photograph it i didn't get anything in that hallway uh mm-hmm. getting in the middle of summer trying to make sure there's nobody in there was a, was a <laughs> task in itself you know waiting for people to pass through but uh it was definitely interesting to be there because the, the story behind that case is that i don't even know if it's the that, that area was there when she was actually queen so it's kind of there's some kind of controversy it's not you know where the state apartments were at that time so it's kind of like who knows where the truth lends in the story but it definitely gets it's one of the most famous yeah, you know what's interesting the in the way of a good tourism yeah, Tyler. but you know what's interesting is that uh, when Karen Keith was over here, he talked about that being he thought it was one of the most haunted places, and he did several experiments there, I believe, where he, he gave people uh, just pads of paper and sent them in through the Hampton Court Castle, I believe, and and they recorded on certain spots and not telling them anything, and and they all recorded on the same spots where paranormal activity had occurred. Do you, do you remember anything like that, uh, Steve or Cal? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the experiment that, that was undertaken. Kieran was part of a team led by Professor Richard Wiseman, who were, in actual fact, they were studying the environmental uh, aspects yeah. of, of haunting in relation to electromagnetism, infrasound, and and the sort of ambient location itself. And during... Uh, they, they also did a, a similar experiment up in Edinburgh at Murray King's Close, or the, the vaults. Um, and, and essentially, they would send... Uh, people round and they would get them to document their experiences whilst at the same time they were measuring um, the electromagnetic fields the mm. temperature, the light levels, the specific, levels of infrasound groups as well, a group of sceptics and a group of believers separated up well, oh that was intriguing <laughs> that's Karen talking from behind so that was the loudest pizza bell we've ever had but yeah i mean i i know kieran uh always uh he, he used to live quite near hampton court and and you know always uh speaks very very highly very fondly of hampton court 
Um, it's a location I've, I've actually, you know, honestly, I've never visited. Um, I've, it's, it's somewhere I'd like to go to. It's somewhere I plan to go to, but as yet it's, it's eluded me and certainly not ever had the chance to investigate any of the paranormal claims made of Hampton Court. But, you know, it's, it's right up there on the list with Alcatraz and the Queen Mary and all of the, you know, uh, all of the other sort of great hauntings. Yeah, it was a great location to visit. Like we were talking earlier in the hour about, you know, some of the uh, the places like Warwick Castle, which are more based on amusement. I think they've done a good job with Hampton Court of keeping the the, the regalness of it. Oh, and, there's uh, the pizza. Oh, pizza's here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, that means we have to wrap it up, Michael. Uh, so uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And once again, give uh, the name of your book out and where people can... Do you have a website or anything? That, that yeah, people... I have a website. My uh, author website is michaelthomasberry.com. Uh, and the, the, my newest book is called Great Britain's Royal Tombs, A Guide to the Lives and Burial Places of British Monarchs. It can be purchased from Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com. You can actually have links on my website as well where they can uh, it'll take you to where you need to purchase it. And I, I've had a really great hour talking with you guys. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, sorry about the uh, rough beginning there, but uh, well, it, uh, you know, it's certainly been interesting. These don't play with us at times. You know, they, they, <laughs> they try to have their hijinks. But, again, it was really, really a pleasure. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And you, you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Bye. you, Michael. Bye-bye. Cheers, Michael. Well, that hour went by quick, didn't it? It was a great hour. Absolutely. So, I mean, I got that just for you guys, because I know that was, I mean, that's your country, and I figured, you know, it'd be nice of me to do something pleasant for you. Oh. That's, that's really nice of you. Can we just correct one thing, though? Uh, uh, this you can classification, you want. yeah, it's just a classification thing, just to to make it absolutely clear that um, Hampton Court is not a castle; oh, okay. uh, it's a ro- it's a royal palace, mm-hmm. and that not everything with a castellated top on it is a castle either. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have a range of of, of buildings that resemble castles. Right. Uh, it's a disclaimer on behalf of uh, British tourism. Okay, um, Mar- Margam Castle isn't actually a castle either. What about the ca- if it's Canaver- 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 it's not necessarily a castle? Like Newcastle isn't a castle, and nor is it New. No, that, that, that's so funny, but, Cal. <laughs> actually, that's, that's Canaver- how it's state. Is that a castle? <laughs> Sorry, we're Carnarvon. Yeah, the Carnarvon Estate. Uh, Carnarvon Castle is indeed a very large castle, um, okay. and it has a county, Carnarvonshire, named after the principal town, which is... 5,000 square feet, square miles. It's a very big castle. Mm. And yeah, it's also uh, the place where we invest the Prince of Wales. Mm. Oh, wait a minute, are we talking about the same one? Lord Carnarvon? Uh, no, you're thinking of a different one now. I'm talking about Carnarvon Yeah, that's where uh, Downton Abbey was filmed. Now, Carnarvon Castle. So, it's different then. <sighs> Very different. Okay, well, I'll talk about this next week. Anyway, okay. uh, I guess it's time to wrap it up. So, for me and the rest of the guys, good night and God bless. Good night. Bye-bye. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.